Happy Sabbath, everybody. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful. This kind of week is the one that makes you thankful for the Sabbath. I'm just, I'm so happy that you're all here today. Uh, my name is Gavin Forbes. I am the intern pastor here at Forest Lake Church. I am here from Union College, but this is my home, so I'm really happy to be here with all of you today. Let's pray before we start. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you for waking us up this morning, Lord. We have so much to be thankful for. I ask that as I speak today, I don't speak, but you speak through me. And while you speak through me, help me to remember that the audience is not who is in front of me, but it's you and you alone, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. So if you know me, you know I love movies. Uh, for those of you who saw my last sermon, I talked about Star Wars the entire time. Don't worry, I'm not gonna do that again. I actually have a point. but. This movie I watched a few weeks ago with my parents. It's called A Knight's Tale. Uh, it stars Heath Ledger as William. And we can show his picture up here. Isn't he dreamy? He's fantastic. I love Heath Ledger. Well, in this movie, William is a peasant who is pretending to be a knight. He's doing this so that he can joust in these tournaments and feed not only himself, but his team that he is traveling with. While he's doing this, he climbs the ranks super, super fast. He's really, really good at jousting. And in doing so, he catches the eye of Princess Jocelyn. And, you know, they're flirty and all this stuff. And like all relationships, hopefully never, but every once in a while you hit a rocky space in your relationship. She doesn't come to a few of his tournaments. So what does he do? He writes her this long letter filled with poetry, confessing his love for the princess. And then he ends it by saying, I want you to come to my next tournament. And she's all smiley and stuff like that. And before the tournament starts, he runs into her at a church. And he shows up. And she's not fully convinced that he loves her. So, as he tries to prove himself, he says, I will win this tournament for you. I will win this tournament for you. Every enemy I defeat, I defeat for you. By the strength of my arm and the flanks of my horse, you. She goes, wow, really? Your flanks. I want to hear poetry, William. I'm not ready, but I am. Jocelyn. How can I prove to you that I love you? How? Do you ask in earnest? Yes. <laughs> if you wish to prove your love to me, right, you must lose. What? Lose? Yes, lose. Instead of going and honoring yourself with your high reputation, I want you to lose and go against your character. What? Losing proves nothing except that I'm a loser. Wrong. Losing is a much keener test of love. I want you to act against your normal character and lose for me. Really? <laughs> so what is your answer? I will not lose. And you do not love me. Thank you, I'll be here all day, I appreciate that. <laughs> so the tournament starts and he's there with his team, he gets on his horse and puts his little helmet thing down, he has his 
lance in his hand. I called it a javelin last service. I found out it's called a lance. Um, he put his lance in his hand, and his team's cheering him on. And he puts down, and he starts charging. But then he looks up, and he sees his princess smiling at him. And he knows what he has to do. He stops, and he puts up his lance. And his team is like, what are you doing? He says, I'm losing. Why? <laughs> I don't know. And then he gets hit, and the lance of his enemy explodes all over him. And it's not just the one. He loses over and over and over again. As movies do, I forgot about most of what happens in this movie within the span of a week. But this idea of losing for love really stuck with me, and I couldn't understand why. Well, to my surprise, it's actually in the Bible. Let's read in Luke 17, verse 33. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. There's that idea, losing, losing. First, I think it's really important that we establish why we should love Jesus in the first place. And it helped me in first service, but if none of you know this song, it's going to be very awkward for me. So, when I was a kid, we used to sing this song, and I hope you guys know it. Oh, church family, do you love Jesus? Oh, yes. oh thank goodness. And why do you love Jesus? Can you tell me why you love Jesus? Because he first loved me. There it is. We all come to. Perfect, good. <laughs> I'm so glad you guys knew that song. I was thinking, I was like, they don't know it, I just have to commit. So thank you for not letting me do that and sparing you also my singing voice. Um, but this guy, Jesus, he first, we love him because he first loved us. Talk about somebody who loses for love. He lost everything, but we'll get to that in a second. This guy, Jesus, if you haven't heard of him, he's going to change your life right now. I cannot wait to tell you about him. He is one of my best friends, if not my best. But the reason why... I think we're all fascinated with Jesus is because he's so backwards in his thinking. What does this mean? I have to love my enemies? I have to turn the other cheek? When I pray, when I tithe, when I fast, I do it in secret? I don't know about you guys, but I love the spotlight. I hope you guys can't tell. <laughs> it's not doing something right. I remember in high school, um, I read a lot about fasting, and I fasted for a little bit there. The hardest part of the fast wasn't not eating. It was not telling other people about it. I wanted more than anything to be like, oh my goodness, I'm so hungry right now. Oh, thank you for offering me your lunch, but I'm actually fasting right now. Like, I, that's all I wanted to do. But it's this idea But God, and Jesus says on his Sermon on the Mount, keep it to yourself. When you're fasting, comb your hair go to the gym, do whatever you do, just fast, keep that between us. And that was hard. That was the hardest part of my fast. It's this idea of why can I give, why would I give a random homeless person $100 if I'm not going to film it and put it online, you know? Back in Luke 17, verse 20, we find the context of the last verse we just read. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that you can observe. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. I think this is really funny because Jesus is very cryptic whenever he talks to the Pharisees. They ask, imagine going to some guy, like a teacher, being like, hey, when's the test? And he says, it's not when you think it is. 
I don't know, I just think that'd be really funny. But thankfully, the disciples asked. And side note, whenever somebody asks Jesus what he means, he always answers them. So in verse 22, he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Don't go. Don't follow them. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to another, so will the Son of Man in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So there's a lot to unpack in that little section that we just read. Not only is, he's he's basically saying that once I come back, everybody will see me. You're not going to hear a news article of like Jesus in Ohio today. No, it's going to be all over the place. But talk about losing for love in that last verse. But first he must suffer many things by this generation. I'm sure they didn't know what he was talking about, but we certainly do. In verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given into marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed all of them. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day where Lot went out of Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So Jesus gives some background context as to what does this mean to lose yourself for love. He says, remember the days of Noah and remember the days of Lot. If we think back to the story of Noah, why did the flood come in the first place? It's because they were wicked, as the Bible says. They were absolutely of the world, so to speak, as my mom would put it. And same thing with Sodom and Gomorrah. They were so worldly and self They didn't have any morals, more or less. So God was like, I need to start over. So he's saying the same thing. Those who are obsessed with the world, that'll be their outcome. This next verse I really, really like. In verse 31, On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let one who is in the field not turn back. I remember when I was younger, and I would be playing video games after school, my parents would say, Gavin, come down, it's time for dinner. I'd be like, one more level. Or, wait a minute, I can't pause it, it's an online game. You know, gamer things. And my mom and dad would say, if God was coming back right now, would you tell him one more level? Or would you not pause the game? <laughs> and it's funny because I have this, I, I, I have a feeling that if I'm alive when God comes back, I'm going to be holding a game controller in my hand. And I've practiced. I'm going to chuck it across the room. That's what I'm going to do. Thank you, Mom. So when God comes back, are you going to be so obsessed with the things of this world? Are you going to go and collect your items from your house and be like, I'll be right back, God? Are you going to just drop everything and run? Verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. That's its own verse, and I really like that verse. Because when I first read it, it really confused me. I had no idea why I was remembering this random woman. But if you remember what happened to her in verse Genesis 19, verse 26, we can read, But Lot's wife behind him looked back and became a pillar of salt. When she was fleeing from Sodom with her family, and the angel specifically said, Don't look back. It doesn't matter. Look forward. She became obsessed with what was happening behind her, and she, was, she couldn't help herself, and she lost her life because of it. God is saying, Jesus is saying, remember 
what happens when we look back. In verse 33, we read our verse again, back in Luke. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. The way I understand this one is whoever seeks to preserve his worldly life will lose it spiritually, but whoever seeks or whoever loses his worldly life will keep it spiritually. But I think it's interesting that it also doesn't say specifically worldly and spiritually. Verse 34, I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. They said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the corpses are, the vultures will gather. That's scary. That's really terrifying. But I don't think it's meant to be terrifying. I think Jesus is saying, and I have to be careful when I say this, and you be careful when I say this too, that we are in charge of our own salvation. Now, some of you are like, he just said that from the pulpit. Let me clarify. You cannot earn your way into heaven. The, the gift that God has given us is a gift. It's not a reward. We did not earn it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. But the part where it comes in is we have to accept it. In order to live the truth, we must lose ourselves and what we treasure in this world. Okay, Gavin, I hear you saying that. I hear you. Um, does that mean I have to give away my TV and my phone? Yes. No, I'm joking. You don't. But what you do have to do, it's okay to have a TV and a phone, and it's another thing to worship that thing. It's okay to eat food for fun or even just sustenance, and it's another thing to completely worship it. It's one thing to enjoy music and love movies, but it's another thing to absolutely worship it. When the time comes and you're called out of Egypt, are you going to take your gods with you to the promised land? What does this mean to lose yourself for love? Jesus gives in a very extreme example in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. He's talking to Jesus. And Jesus says to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is telling us immediately, if you follow me, it's not going to be easy at all. It is going to be a very hard time. I really don't have a place to sleep every night. I don't have a solid income of food. I, life's not going to be easy. He lets us know that right from the beginning. He continues, and this part I struggle with. In verse 59, he said, To another he said, follow me. But he said, the man... Lord, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And in verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say well to, farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Oof. Some of you have lost loved ones. I've lost some loved ones. It's never easy. Imagine going to their funeral and Jesus shows up and says, I'm here now. Or if you're like me and you love your mom and you would like to go and tell her that you love her before you leave forever to be with Jesus, he says, I'm here now. I'm not going to be back when you get back here. 
Imagine, what would you do? What would you do if that was your child? If your child just up and left one day? If you say that you would do it with no hesitation, I have news for you. You're weird. <laughs> you are a weird person. But if we think of what Jesus is actually telling us to do as a whole, it's weird. If I, if I love, if you love your enemy, you're weird. If I'm doing nothing but being nasty to you and talking bad about you, you're weird. If you're sitting in a room by yourself talking to someone you can't see, you are so weird. If you are so overflowing with joy that you have to tell a stranger next to you, you are weird. And it's really scary to be weird. It's terrifying to be weird. But it's weird to be in relationships, just in general. It's weird to commit. It's scary to commit. It's scary to be in relationships. But those of you know who are in relationships that you are not the same person you were when you were single. You are a very different person. And it's the same with God. A lot of us like to say, and myself included, God loves you just the way you are. He loves you, he loves you just the way you are. And that's great, but I don't think we should finish the quote there. Because yes, I fell for my girlfriend when we were both single, but we are both not the same person. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you that way. He can't change us until we lose to ourselves. How can I go and make disciples in the name of Jesus if I'm too scared of being weird? How can I testify and comfort someone hurting if I'm just scared? For me, I don't know about you guys, but I'm an overthinker. I love to think myself out of scenarios. It could be something I'm very much looking forward to, and then it gets there, and I'm like, Guys, I've had three weeks to think about it. It's not a good idea. <laughs> and I have here, like when writing this, I overthought myself out of an example. So it, hopefully that gives you something to say. What does this mean to be weird for God? <laughs> we read earlier in Luke 19, something very similar to what we previously read. Luke, sorry, chapter 9, verse 32. And he said to all, if anyone would to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. There's a difference there. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For, whenever, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you, some of you standing here will not know death until the kingdom of God is here. What does this look like to pick up our cross every single day and to not deny Jesus? For me, it's as simple as spreading this, the message. We have a whole book that we gotta tell people about. Come on, guys. <laughs> Now, this is somewhat easier in this setting. It's not like I came up here and I was like, Jesus is great. And you're like, oh, I didn't know it was that kind of event, you know? Like, you expected me to come here and you expected to hear about the good news of Jesus. But what if we were just to invite a random neighbor to come to church? Or what if we were 
to get really personal and ask that person to pray with them. Now, I've lived next to my neighbors for who knows how long at this point, and I have never asked them <laughs> to come to church or to pray with them. Now, my parents are better than me. They totally have, and they testify about it all the time, and I love them for it. But I've never done that, and some of you might not have ever done that. Why is that? Is it because if you ask me in just passing conversation, I'll say, I just don't have time. That's not true. I've been living next to them for years. Of course I don't have time. I mean, if I had to, I would make time for them at this point. What if it's, I'm just too scared of being looked weird, like weirdly at, which we just talked about. Yeah, that could be it. But if I'm being brutally honest, it might be because I just don't really care. And the church falls silent. Wow. <laughs> now, I'm thankful that I am not God. Can I say that? I'm thankful that you're not God. I'm thankful that he is a God who goes and finds that lost sheep intentionally. Because I don't know if I would have that much patience as the ultimate shepherd. With myself, specifically. <laughs> now, I do care for my neighbors as people, but in my human imperfection, I care more about myself than I do them. I'm doing fine. As long as my faith is good, I don't care. Like, they can do whatever they think, and I'll believe whatever I believe. But why do I feel this way? For me, I feel closest to God when I'm not in the picture. When I lose myself to the world, I gain my life. Now, in high school, back to high school, I really, really struggled with self-love. And the fact, in other words, I hated myself. I did not like anything about me. I didn't think I was handsome enough. I didn't think I was charismatic enough. I didn't have a girlfriend. And just, it was, it was rough. And people, I would tell people this, and I would wake up every morning saying, you're not good enough, telling myself that I'm not good enough. And I would tell people this, and they'd say, you've got to do better than that, man. You can't do that. You've got to talk yourself up. And I, I, would, I remember standing in the mirror and being like, you are good enough, you deserve a good life. But honestly, the only thing I was doing was I was putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. I wasn't really doing anything with that. It was gonna fall off. And it wasn't until I was talking to a teacher and he said something that challenged me. He said, Gavin, it's not about you. Take yourself out of the picture. And in that moment, it clicked for me. When we pick up our cross, it's one of the most selfless things that Jesus has ever done. He's asking us to do the same thing, daily. When we come to the end of ourselves, that's when Jesus can take over. I was so obsessed with hogging the steering wheel that the best pilot in the entire world couldn't take over. I was crashing the plane when the master himself was right there being like, hey, you just got to step back, man. I'm not going to wrestle you off the wheel. For those of you ABBA fans, this was my Waterloo. I told him, I said, God, I had nothing, but you still want me. I give you all I have, all of my nothing, all of my hatred, all of my imperfections, my lack of six-pack and the $20 to my name. I give it all to you. It wasn't until I lost everything that I had, that's when I won. To me, this is what it means to lose. To give up your life for him. Because he gave up his life for you.
for me. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we have so much to be thankful for. You've given us the ultimate gift that you know that we couldn't earn. And all you do is for ask us in return is to ask us to accept this gift. Lord, I ask as we go out and make disciples in your name and spread your message that we do it because we love you and not to glorify ourselves. Be with us as we part ways today, Lord, and help us to make you proud. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you.